Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, this has been a big week for Star Trek news. I don't know if everyone out there has heard, but we have news of when the next Star Trek series is going to actually start airing. So I'm Dan Gunther. This is Positively Trek. And with me, as always, is Bruce Gibson. How are you doing today, Bruce? I'm doing great because the fact that we're getting an announcement of a new Star Trek series starting is really big news. And it's like I've been waiting forever to hear a date for Star Trek Starfleet Academy. This is so exciting. (laughs) I've heard about this show off and on for decades. I'm just so... Uh Uh-oh. What? What? (laughs) Uh, I... mm. I don't know how to tell you this, Bruce. Uh, that that's not that that hasn't been announced. I don't think we're supposed to tell people that. No, I'm just kidding. We have no insight onto anything like that. So. <laughs> no, I'm just making that up. Of course, <laughs> we're going to end up on IO9 or something as <laughs> inside sources. Uh, no, we don't have any news of a Starfleet Academy. No, series. but I mean, think about it. They've been talking about that at least since Star Trek Five. That was supposed to be like an Academy movie at one point. And then for years, I keep hearing about something Starfleet Academy. And even like just a few years ago, they said we we're going to get a Starfleet Academy series. I've heard nothing since then. I think I'll be 108 years old and they'll finally release Starfleet Academy. <laughs> And then you can just be, you know, shaking your cane saying, I told you so, I told you, we scooped it on Positively Trek back in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew it, people. <laughs> no, but we did get a new announcement of an air date for a new Star Trek show, which is really exciting. And this is, of course, Star Trek Lower Decks, the animated series from Rick and Morty writer Mike McMahon. Uh, Not only did we get the air date, which we learned it's going to be hitting television screens on August the 6th on CBS All Access in the US, uh, we also got a look at the starship from the series as well, which is really exciting. It is. Although I'm excited to see the starship, but I need to see different angles because it looks a little weird, a little wonky, but this is supposed to be a little different Star Trek. This isn't like your typical Star Trek. It's supposed to be a fun animated series so i'm not expecting the starship to look grand and beautiful and and because this one to me in my opinion isn't but it's fine yeah and i mean that's kind of in keeping with the premise where they say it's one of starfleet's less important ships they're involved in second contact missions they come in after you know ships like the enterprise have done their big fancy missions these guys kind of come in and bat clean up i guess So, you know, it's kind of fitting with that, I think. It is. And that's why I like to see different angles. But I do like the poster art for this. And it's got a big arrow swooping up from a planet up to the saucer section to show you where the lower decks are. (laughs) And it's in the back (laughs) bottom part of the ship. And this poster, it's kind of cool. It's reminiscent of those early posters for Star Trek The Motion Picture, I noticed. And I think that's really intentional. Kind of the same angle of the ship and then the series regulars in little boxes at the bottom. And it really, if you look at it side by side with the Motion Picture poster that was kind of in the back of comic books back in the 70s, it looks really similar. Oh my gosh, Dan, you just got it right. This is exactly what I was thinking. I remember as a kid... In the late 70s, I was collecting comic books. I was big into Superman, so I was buying all kinds of Superman comics. And I remember the motion picture poster art in the comic books and seeing all the different cast members on the bottom and all their little boxes and that Enterprise swooping in. And I was not a big Star Trek fan at all back then, but I was like, this looks so cool. I can't wait. (laughs) Like we said, Star Trek Lower Decks is going to be coming on August the 6th on CBS All Access in the U.S. On CTV Sci-Fi Channel and the Crave streaming service in Canada. However, as of now, as of this recording, there is still no released plans. 
uh, for non-US Canada distribution. Hopefully that announcement comes soon. I, I trust that announcement is coming soon. We only learned about the Canadian distribution a few days ago, thanks to CTV announcing it. That wasn't even, you know, Star Trek, the the powers that be behind that announcing that. So I'm thinking we'll hear something soon regarding uh, seeing it outside of the U.S. and Canada. And I'm so proud of ourselves that we know how to pronounce the ship name. I've seen so many YouTube channels and listened to so many Star Trek podcasts. They're saying the USS Ceratos or Ceratos and whatever they pronounce it, but it's Cerritos after the town in California, which we mentioned that before in a previous episode here. And of course, it's a California-class starship, which confirms that it's named after Cerritos, California. But I'm also excited the fact that we know that there's 10 episodes. I don't know if we knew that before. So we're getting 10 episodes. I think this was the first confirmation of that, which is, you know, definitely good to know. And uh, also, we had heard this before, there is a season two. This is the series has been purchased for two seasons, so it looks like uh, we're definitely at least getting two seasons, which is exciting as well. Yay. More Star Trek, the better. Absolutely. Well, the other news item that I wanted to talk a bit about is uh, an interview that showed up over on Sci-Fi Wire with uh, the Tiptons, who are writers for IDW for their Star Trek comic series. And they talk about their new Star Trek Deep Space Nine comic, Too Long a Sacrifice, a miniseries that's going to be coming a little bit later in the summer. So this is a Deep Space Nine miniseries and the first Deep Space Nine comic published in over a decade, which is really cool. Uh, Really hoping for big things from this one. The first issue arrives on July 15th from IDW, and we're definitely going to be picking that up and taking a look and talking about it on the show as well. Yeah, I'm excited about this because it has been over a decade since we've gotten Deep Space Nine comics, and this is a four-issue miniseries, so we get four nice issues, and if you don't want to read each issue as they come out, I'm sure it'll come out in a trade paperback, which would be fantastic. You know, they interviewed David Tipton, and he says there's two points of particular interest with this series. One, a closer look at the behind-the-scenes aspect of Deep Space Nine, the ongoing underground trade and business that stays in the shadows, along with the station's darker history dating back to the Cardassian occupation of Bajor. And he says the second thing is a look at how the station would handle a series of seemingly unstoppable crimes. So it's like a crime thriller with Odo. Yeah, and I mean, this character is one that fits really well with that kind of noir feel I feel like they're going for for with this comic. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about this. And, and reading this interview, these guys know their Star Trek. And it really, it, that jumps out to me as I'm reading this because uh, of some of the stuff they say. So definitely check out that article. It's really worth taking a read. And we have a guest on today's show that really knows his Star Trek, too. Indeed. Yeah. So joining us for the main part of the show is Dr. Brian Goldman. Uh, He's a uh, radio host, a ER doctor and a medical pundit here in Canada. Uh, I really think he has some really interesting things to say about the world we're living in right now. And of course, about Star Trek, as it turns out, he's a big Star Trek fan. So, Dr. Brian Goldman, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. It's it's a real honor to have you on the show. Now, you have quite an impressive resume here. So, just to hit some of the highlights, you're an ER doctor at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto. You're a radio host of a popular show on CBC, White Coat, Black Art. You're a healthcare pundit, an author, and also relevant to this podcast, a Star Trek fan. And yet you still had time to put us into your schedule. Let's turn that one around. Uh, you would have been first on my list of, of things to do because uh, I have never been asked to be on a, a program on a podcast that focuses on Star Trek. I listen to Star Trek podcasts. You know, Inglorious Trexperts is, is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. And, and uh, you know, I, I've watched all the shows. I've, I've loved some. Uh, haven't necessarily loved some of the others, but, but I always give it a, a good, fair watching. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, it, this is actually a treat to be able to do this. Excellent. Well, like I said, it's, it's an honor to have you. And, uh, you know, 
this this all started, I should give a bit of background. I was listening to a radio show here in Canada, Tapestry, uh, with Mary Hines, and you were the subject of an interview. And it came up, your Star Trek fandom, when she was asking about what your uh, song to help you get through this pandemic is. And you had a really great answer and one that just like set off all my alarm bells for, oh my goodness, a true Star Trek fan who really knows his stuff here. So why don't you talk a little bit about what that song is and how that helps you get through the current situation we're in. So the song is Blue Skies. Blue Skies, uh, you know, people who who have watched Star Trek Picard know that that, that Blue Skies was very much the framing device for the, for the entire uh, 10, 10 show arc. The orchestrated version uh you know sung by Isa Briones um as as the the life force you know the 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 computerized life force of of commander data uh ebbed away uh you know it it's it, to me it was that was the emotional center of the entire series so so when i heard that song first of all it was beautiful for people who haven't watched uh, star trek picard and i'm assuming that, that this audience has you know in in the star trek picard series it was true to canon and and in star trek nemesis data had sacrificed himself so that so that picard could live he sang uh, Brent Spiner can sing. He can sing a little. He can dance a little. I think he had an album. Was it Old Yellow Eyes is back? Oh yeah, yeah. There's a deep cut, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, if, you know, frankly, I didn't care to hear him singing "Blue Skies" in the movie in in Star Trek Nemesis. It was you know that that movie for many many reasons that we can get into was 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 not was a kind of a sad ending to the franchise. That and and the end of Enterprise. Which I, I think that happened shortly afterwards. It, it there was a sense that it, that you know the Star Trek characters weren't going to come back anytime soon, which turned out to happily be wrong. Data he sang uh, "Blue Skies" as a wedding present to Riker and Troy, who were finally getting married. Like they had to be the oldest married couple you could imagine. Like after after so many years as imzadis, they 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 finally got married and and he sang this as a as a wedding gift to them. And he sang it as a ditty. And and most versions of this hundred year old song, nearly hundred year old song, I guess about ninety three year old song by Irving Berlin um, are are played and sung as an up tempo kind of a dance number. Isa Brione's version was sad and ironic and heartfelt and and what's really interesting is it is that if you start uh going on youtube there are many versions uh of it uh, willie nelson has a very famous version of blue skies there, there's there's more contemporary versions there's older versions if you go back to irving berlin himself playing it he played it as a slow tempo sad song it, it, and what's interesting about that is that is that the song uh you know he wrote the song i think in 1926 and um, the version i heard was played in uh, was was recorded in 1927 and it was on the cusp of the depression but there was no depression at that time it was almost as if he was capturing a sense that that american society was at the precipice of a of a great economic collapse of a cataclysm and then the war would follow after that but they didn't know it so the the version of Blue Skies that Issa Briones sang, and, and it was it was sung to the death of Data, maybe, you know what, Data was the most innocent character in Star Trek, so maybe it's the death of innocence. And, and I'm not sure that uh, Michael Chabon, you know, was thinking about all of this. You know, sometimes people have these ideas percolating that, that get manifested, like unconscious ideas that get manifested as the music that you hear, the mood that's created. But it was there. The, the reason why this song took special uh, significance to me or brought special significance to me during the pandemic is that we see the unraveling of society, that precipice that perhaps Irving Berlin could detect nearly 100 years ago in the Depression and the war that was going to follow, maybe the cusp of the First World War, the Great War, that we're in exactly that kind of moment in which society is being taxed, uh, stressed to its, to its very limits by an awful pandemic. And in the United States, uh, now it's worse than ever. Over 50,000 people are, are, are being infected, are, are being recorded as infected every day. And that means, you know, as the numbers go up, it may be 100,000 eventually. That means lots of people are going to die. People have lost their jobs. People have lost their sense of purpose. Young people 
uh, especially. You know, I have I have a 22 year old who just graduated from from university. I've got a, an 18 year old son who just graduated from high school, and I really worry about young people the most that their lives are are, are being altered forever. And and in the middle of all this, we have Black Lives Matter. Uh, and we have, you know, we have uh, the death of, of, you know, the murder of, of George, George Floyd and others. And you get the sense of society unraveling. And there's this song that, that kind of captures that mood perfectly. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I have two go-tos to help me cope with the stress of the pandemic. And one of them is a run. I ran this morning. I ran 15 kilometers this morning. Uh, and I can tell you, I only feel right after a long run. At every other time, as I, you know, I'm in the glow of that right now. It's a perfect time to be to be speaking. But at other times, the stress just builds up and it eats me up and eats me, eats me until until I, I go back to running. And then the other thing that's that solace is music. You know, some people have to have a, a, a cheery song. You know that you know they have they they need they, they they can only work out to Taylor Swift. You know that they need something that kind of really makes them makes them feel better. But for me, I actually like sad songs that that kind of make me bring that difficult emotions that I have out to the surface. That was the significance of it for me. Uh, and and you know, Mary Hines asked, you know, what songs are getting you through the pandemic? I, I you know, I all it was either that or Starman, which I gather I I've been told is the astronauts' favorite favorite song, and it's a it's a fabulous song. You can't be sad. You cannot be sad listening to Starman. Well, of course. This uh, pandemic that we're going through, you're in a, a very particular position with regards to that, of course, as an ER doctor and as a healthcare expert. What does being in that role of an ER doctor, what does that look like right now in the age of COVID with, with all of this happening? Well, and it's a, it, that's a great question, and it's changing. It changes um, weekly. I can tell you, you know, that... that at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of pent-up anticipation that we're about to get inundated with with sick patients with COVID, and we're going to be and 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 we're waiting for this storm of patients one after another, you know, five patients on a ventilator in the emergency department waiting to be admitted to the intensive care unit, and we drilled for that. We did, you know, we had they're called PCBs, protected code blues, where you're supposed to wear this very special, elaborate getup. Uh, of gowns and two sets of gloves and a mask and a face shield and and a head covering and shoe coverings. I had younger colleagues because I'm I'm 64. I had younger colleagues who said, Brian, when you're on, I'm going to go in and do the intubations because I don't want you to die. I mean, I, can you believe that? And I mean, I was blown away when they when they did that. And 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 you know, we prepared for this 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 very different world and and we started working in the emergency department and to this day I'm I'm in and out of gowns constantly I'm wearing a mask constantly uh, you know because the symptoms of code blue are so myriad and varied and people can be asymptomatic it's not hard to fail the the initial screening for covid where where you end up saying this person could have covid I have to get into the getup gown, masks, gloves, etc. And, and, I'm, and I'm swabbing people left, right, and center. What I can tell you, so that's, that's the reality. The reality is the gowning and the gloving and, 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 and having to think about COVID all the time. Did I remember to, uh, you know, is there a stethoscope in this room because I can't bring my own stethoscope into the examining room because it's going to get contaminated. So the new normal has changed all of those procedures. But, very important but, the cataclysm has not come to most of the emergency departments that I know in, in Canada. It didn't come. You, you know, there are some places in the outer reaches of Toronto, the greater Toronto area, places like Brampton uh, and Scarborough where they, and Vaughan, where, they, where they, they had, you know, a greater uh, number of patients and their intensive care units were full with, with COVID patients. But we didn't see it. In fact, if anything, our volumes went way down. The number of patients we saw went way down. You know, where ordinarily I would see 18 to 20 patients a shift, sometimes 22, 23. And, uh, you know, during COVID, I, you know, there were, there were a few shifts where I saw six patients for, during an eight-hour shift. And we were going home early. And, and you know, b- business has started to pick up. You know, more people are coming back to the hospital. But when you talk to patients uh, about why they, you know, why didn't they come sooner? Because a lot of people came later. 
if they had appendicitis, now they came in with a burst appendix and, and all the complications of a burst appendicitis, you'd ask them, why didn't you come in sooner? You know, they didn't want to uh, bother us. They didn't think that what they had was warranted an emergency visit, or they didn't want to get COVID in the hospital, which doesn't happen. Or uh, they were afraid that, that if they were admitted to hospital, they'd never see their loved ones again because we restricted visitors. That's what being an emergency physician has looked like. We st- we're still social. I mean, I, I have to say I'm grateful as an emergency physician, I had a place to go to work. How, how many people don't? How many people have been at home the, the entire time? And I, I love that I can work from home and I can still function as a radio host. But to me, there were times when just having that social contact with my colleagues and, you know, the, the nurses in the emergency department also kept me going and made me feel a lot less alone. So going back to uh, your life as a Star Trek fan, I guess, is that something that you have found informs your life and career as a physician? Is is that something that you kind of bring into your day-to-day life as a doctor? Yeah, because I was thinking as you were talking about work in the ER, I thought, does he sometimes think about being McCoy or Crusher <laughs> or Bashir? Yeah, that, you know what? That that's, uh, that that's a good question. So who's my doctor? So, you know, I, I think... Uh, McCoy is my doctor. I mean, I'm old enough for for I, like, I I I remember when my best friend, when I was I guess ten ten years old, my best friend said you should check out this this brand new series, um, and he said this is this is the first science fiction television series for adults. That's how he billed it to me. And I remember back when the networks would have their previews, where they would just give you a flash of images and scenes. And, and they were obviously, you know, like in thinking back, they were obviously scenes from Where No Man Has Gone Before, from, from, the, from the pilot, from the second pilot. Um, you know, so I started watching it from the very beginning. He, uh, he was the emotional center of the show. He had, like, he was grounded, he was ethical, but he was practical. I've never found myself saying, you know, damn it, uh, damn it, I'm a, I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. But, you know, he, you know, he's a guy who knows his limits. As a character, as a physician, and I think I think that as if I don't think that's a bad I don't think it's a bad place to be, you know, as a, as a physician. I think a lot of physicians don't understand that they're not supposed to be computers, that they're not supposed to be that they're perfectionistic, and they're terrified of, of of making a mistake. I mean, nobody wants to make a mistake, but to be human is to make a mistake. And and so he was con- he was the one who was reminding us constantly of what it means to be human. Or maybe it's just that 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 I'm I'm a TOS guy because you know, damn it, that's that's the first show I watched. And and there are there are people who only started tuning in to the third season of, of Star Trek The Next Generation. And so that's their series and that's their moment. And there are, surprisingly, there are others who, whose first Star Trek was Voyager. And that's their show. So I, I have to say, of all the other Doctors, I loved Robert Picardo's portrayal. Um, the Doctor who never had a name. His annoyance... His, you know, his ability to be angry, you know, irritated in the moment. You know, I think how many, how many physicians haven't been irritated by patients who have trivial complaints? And, and so, you know, I guess, I guess for an emergency physician, having somebody like that, I, I, he, he reminds me of colleagues that I know, crusty colleagues that I know. You know, I, I, I never believed in Beverly Crusher. Uh, she just she just didn't have like she spoke the tech talk, but she just didn't have that attitude of a doctor. I, th- I think if anything, I mean, even though even though they lamented her her year on the next generation, uh, uh, Diana Muldaur uh, as Pulaski. I think Pulaski was was I think she was probably channeling McCoy. You know, the fact that she was older and experienced. And I think, uh, you know, I liked her performance better. I'm catching a theme here. Grumpy. <laughs> the doctors that are grumpy are more realistic. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think I think it's fair because I think, hey, listen, you know, you haven't you you uh, maybe you haven't spent a lot of time in the doctor's lounge, but doctors are grumpy. Doctors are grumpy um, because they don't think they get enough the, the respect they used to get. They don't get as well paid as they used to. Um, they have to work piecemeal. Uh, the public doesn't understand that when their salaries are published. Uh, that they don't include the expenses that they have to pay. And, you know, doctor's expenses could be 30, 35, 40, even 50%. You know, ophthalmologists, for instance, well, they make a fortune, but they have to, but they, that's their gross fees. They, they, they have to maintain, they have to purchase and maintain and equip and staff to, to a much greater degree than, than a family doctor has to. 
And and all of that costs a lot of money. You know, lately during COVID, you know, a, a lot of them just stopped earning money. And and yes, they do virtual visits, and and the provinces suddenly uh, paid, you know, allowed uh, you know fee codes to be paid for virtual visits. And then in Ontario, for instance, they 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 there was a computer glitch, and they didn't get paid until June. So for three months, they didn't get paid a nickel, and they were still having to pay you know office rent, and and you know it's it, some people you know the public would be surprised to learn that that some some physicians. It's not a license to print money for some physicians. Some of them are, are two steps away from bankruptcy, from personal bankruptcy. Uh, and so, yeah, of course they're grumpy. And, and they're, you know, they're, they also feel as if, as if they've got too many rules and regulations. There's too much micromanagement. There's too much outsiders telling them how to do their business. Uh, you know, I wrote a book called The Secret Language of Doctors, and not a, not a terribly popular book, but it, but it did unpack the culture of modern medicine as evidenced by the slang that's used to describe to describe situations and you know that's that's the problem that's why some people don't like the book because they don't like the slang and my my answer to that is if you can't stand the truth then then how are you ever going to learn and grow from it well at least our star trek doctors don't have to deal with money since there's no money in the future for the most part but there's rules and regulations yeah and you know what there's no money in in modern medicine either apparently um that's that's what a lot of my colleagues say <laughs> Now, earlier, before I asked you a question, you started to say something about Bashir, and I'm going to predict that you're saying you're going to say something about Bashir you like, but he's not as grumpy, though. No, he's not. Although he was, no, he did have, he has an irascible side, um, but that's only because he had this inner life and, and, the, and the writers were clearly desperate to figure out what that in, inner life was until they, you know, and then they, they made him genetically perfect and, and, uh, and, and, and handed him over to Section 31. And, and, and that gave him, you know, that gave him that layer that, that I guess you could look back to the original episodes of, of Deep Space Nine and say, oh, so that's what was on his mind. Uh, you know, I, I think of all the characters on Deep Space Nine, he was, he was one that was not as well-developed or well-drawn, well-drafted at the beginning. And they, they had to kind of, fortunately, because they had this serialized you know, they figured out that they were going to do this serialized take uh, with these long form stories like the Dominion War, that they had room to grow and develop uh, his personality. Yeah, that was an interesting show because I think many of the of the characters had to to have an arc in order to become fully layered and actualized like Benjamin Sisko. The Benjamin Sisko at the beginning was not anywhere near the Benjamin Sisko at the end. He had changed so much. We had learned so much about him. Uh, and we'd learned so much about Odo and, and all, all, all of the other characters that they underwent tremendous transformation, probably more than any of the other characters uh, in any of the other Star Trek series. You know, you were talking earlier about then the music you listen to in order to cope. Is there anything that you tune to in Star Trek? Is there an episode or just a particular series that you go to when you're coping? Because, you know, in an ER, even before COVID, that's a lot of stress in itself and now you're adding, adding covid and everything that's going on in the world right now. So you like you're talking about the music of Star Trek? I'm talking about music or just even an episode. Oh, yeah, well, well, but the thing is that that I love music and I gravitate towards music and and in fact, I I, I don't think enough credit is given to the composers of the uh the, who 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 created the music and the soundscape of of TOS. You know, Alexander Courage and Fred Steiner and, and Gerald Freed. I can tell you that the day Leonard Nimoy died, I went back and I watched um, The Side of Paradise and the scene in which he, uh, Lay Layla, that's her name, Jill Ireland? Layla Colomia, yeah. Has beamed up, you know, and, and he's got to tell her, that he's no longer with the spores. Right. It's the speech where he says, I am what I am. And, and you know, if there are self-made purgatories, I'm even getting verklempt just thinking about it. If there are self-made purgatories, you know, mine can be no worse than others. He, you know, he talks about his, you know, his loyalty to the man on the bridge, which which <laughs> which takes us in a whole different direction uh, in, in terms of fan fiction, which, which is really interesting. But, but don't forget... The music, the music that Gerald Freed, uh, and he's still alive, and he's played that music 
at concerts. He did one quite recently. He he would be over ninety right now, and there aren't that many there aren't that many people who still have their faculties who work during the uh, the the old series. Without that music, that's like that music perfectly fit the uh, you know the the scene. It perfectly supported it. It was it was symbiotic with uh, Leonard Nimoy's performance, and it's tragic. You know, it's it is in its own way as tragic as uh, Kirk stopping McCoy from saving Edith Keeler, because because what he's saying is that there's a part of him that will never be able to love, that will never be able to to give himself fully over to to another person, to a significant other. And that's tragic. And you could feel the tragedy in, in that moment. So so yeah, no, you know, in fact, the music is is like like most music uh, for TV shows is wallpaper. There's nothing wallpaper about any of this. You know, there's nothing. There's no uh, and and you know, like you've got to go back to the first ten episodes of the old series because because the music that's created was it was written. It was these episodes were scored. So the first time you see. Uh, the Fasarius, you know, in the Corbomite nu- maneuver, it's mighty, even though the special effects are crap. You, you, the, the music tells you this is a mighty ship that they're seeing and they're hopelessly outmatched. And, and uh, you know, w- uh, the, the, you know, people, people always refer to the, uh, the first encounter with the Romulans. And in fact, uh, that was reused. Uh, in um, in Star Trek Picard, they kept going back to it again and again. Every time they showed the Romulan ship, the 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 Borg cube, they 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 played the 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 Romulan the old Romulan theme. I mean, if you can remember a score, then it must be it must be really good. I can I can tell you, I listen to music scores all the time. One of my favorite scores is Batman Begins. You know, by you know back to Star Trek, James Horner's Wrath of Khan is the best score. It's the best score of the movies. You know, I know people think that Star Trek: The Motion Picture was a better score, but no, I think I think James Horner's was the best. Yeah, I love that one. Similar to this, we we recently did a uh, just kind of look back review at the episode "The Doomsday Machine" on YouTube, and like about a quarter of the time we talked about it, we were talking about the score from that because it's it's so iconic, and that's another one that was scored for that episode and then reused a bunch afterwards. But and it was although it's interesting when you when you when they score it when they scored it for an episode, you know there are bits that don't get reused. Mm-hmm. There was a particular like it's nautical. It sounds nautical like because it sounds it's meant to be you know it's Captain Ahab. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and of course, Amok Time. They reused some of that, but it was it was also, it, it, it was scored especially uh, for that episode and quite memorable. Yeah, people always say, oh, the Star Trek fight music. And I always, in my mind, I have to say, it's not the Star Trek fight music, it's the Kirk fighting Spock music. <laughs> like, that's what that was. Well, one thing I wanted to touch on is just, you know, for our listeners, for people who are listening, going through what's happening right now, you talked about the number of new cases happening in the US right now. There are a lot of different voices telling people a lot of different things, politicians, what is your advice for how we should be staying as safe as possible and who should we be listening to? Whose voices should we be paying attention to at this time? Kind of maybe a big question. <laughs> no, yeah, but there, you know, it's not, it's not like a, there's nothing there that I haven't said before that I don't tweet frequently. Um, you know, certainly we should be doing um, the three W's and, and one of them is washing your hands uh, and that means, you know, getting used to, you know, the idea of washing your hands frequently. And, you know, it's some people just need to be told what to do and other people need to be given the sense of why, you know, what's why do you want to wash your hands frequently? Because here's here's the story of how you get COVID. Either someone coughs on you or sneezes on you so that you want to wash your hands, wear a mask. That's the second W. And the third W is, you know, it's 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 about staying away from people and I can't tell you what the W is right now but basically it's it's maintaining physical distance uh, from other people and all of that makes perfect sense because you're going to get covid-19 the the closer you are to people for the longest period of time and um oh maybe the third one's being wary of large crowds I think that I think that's what it is so so you avoid large crowds because the more people you're in close physical contact with inside of two you know two meters 
the greater your chances of getting the infection from somebody who doesn't know they're infected. That, that's first of all. You wear a mask in situations in which you either could be infected and you don't want to infect other people or you want an extra level of protection when you're not certain that you can avoid um, uh, people, you know, by two meters or more. You know, in a, if you don't think you can practice physical distancing. So, for instance, you go into a store to buy something, you go in to buy a takeout coffee. You know, I would always wear a mask in that kind of environment. I would never not wear a mask. In fact, the only times I don't wear a mask would be if I'm walking with my partner Tamara in the neighborhood and I can f- practice physical distancing from other people by, you know, if somebody's coming, we're on the sidewalk, they're coming towards me, I, we step out onto the road uh, so, that, so that we avoid, you know, getting into close proximity. The washing hands thing is important because, and, and you know, all of that is around your personal, your personal habits. You wash your hands, basically it works like this. Somebody who has COVID-19 coughs on their hands and touches a, a surface or sneezes on a surface or coughs on a surface. You're going to get COVID if that glistening surface, if, if you touch that glistening surface, surface and then touch your, your eyes, nose or mouth. So anything that you do in that process to break that cycle up will stop you from getting infected. So wipe the surface down. Now it's disinfected. You can touch it all you like. And you're not going to get infected. If you forgot to wipe down the surface or you didn't know that it hadn't been wiped down at that point, if after you've touched the surface, if you wash your hands, again, you're not going to get infected. And if all else fails, you have the surface wasn't wiped down, you didn't touch, you, you, you know, you, you touched, you didn't wash your hands, don't touch your face. If you don't touch your face, again, you're not going to infect yourself. Okay, so so all of these things actually make a lot of sense. And that's what you should do. What authorities should do, they should test frequently. They should be testing people in in cases of outbreaks. They should be testing anybody who thinks they might have been exposed, healthcare professionals or lay people. They should be tracing contacts. So if there's a positive result, they should have a SWAT team that's able to make the phone calls in real time and figure out who you might have gotten it from and who you are have been in contact with so that so that they can warn those people to get tested and to isolate themselves. And then the third thing is trust. That means that they should be delivering messages that are clear and consistent and when they make a mistake they should just admit they're wrong and and move on. Those are all of my words of advice. The other thing is in in the United States they have politicized scientific advice from public health officials. Who do I listen to? Yeah, you asked me that. I listen to public health officials and uh, and in particular, Dr. Bonnie Henry from British Columbia, who who not not single handedly, but certainly she's been clear. Uh, she's been she's been concise. She's been empathic and uh, she'd make a great chief public health officer for Canada. Not that Theresa Tam has been all that bad. Mm-hmm. I think we've had muddier messages in some other parts of Canada, particularly Ontario. And, and this is important to establish trust in public health officials because the more trustworthy they are, and that doesn't mean they always get it right, but it does mean that they pivot when they need to and that they, they present the evidence that informs the decisions that they're making and the recommendations that they're making. So the three T's for authorities are test, trace, and trust. Uh, so one other thing that I wanted to touch on briefly is, uh, you know, the the mental aspect of this you know we all need things to look forward uh that will help ease the anxiety and fear that we're all feeling right now and and there's some interesting stuff coming in the world of star trek and i was wondering if there's anything in particular you're most looking forward to right now from star trek yeah you know there there certainly is uh i would say that that uh, you know, uh, my partner Tamara and I have been watching Star Trek Discovery from the beginning, and and I think you know I think it's I know some you know there are there are hardcore fans who have not been pleased with Discovery. Um, they felt that that it played too much with canon, and you know that it was you know the, the problem that it was set like ten years before. Uh, before the uh, the events of the old series. On the other hand, now Discovery is a thousand years in the future or 900 years in the future. They get to make their own canon. And so I think that's fantastic. And, and so I'm looking forward to seeing what they come up with. I have to say that I am so glad that Anson Mount is going to be the star of a new series. I guess they're calling it Star Trek Strange New Worlds right now because I, you know, I just think it's lovely. He inhabited the character of Pike and and made him 
into into a captain you'd want to serve under. And and he may be the best captain that has ever put a Starfleet uniform on for uh, for television purposes. And uh, you know, I think in many respects he's the best he's the best combination of Kirk and Picard. He's got intellect, he's got heart, he's grounded ethically. He gets angry, but he he knows how to motivate his 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 crew. And now he's living with the certain knowledge of his death, of his final years. And if anything, that's made him a more interesting character. I you know I have to say that Ethan Peck nailed it, completely nailed young Spock, and in a way that Zachary Quinto looks like him, but Ethan Peck did him, and is is Spock. And I believe it. So I, I, you know, I can't wait to see what that what that series is going to be like. I have, you know, this opens up a completely different can of worms. I'm not a fan of the Kel- of the Kelvin universe, and I don't know if it's the Kelvin universe or just the the choices that they've made. And you know that that's the stuff of a completely different of a completely different podcast. You know, creating this world in which or this universe in which nothing in which nothing that happened in the old series in, is you know the canon's been thrown out, and then immediately telling a story about about Khan um, as, as their second movie uh, into darkness was just a dumb move and and uh, when they could have done anything the whole idea was to create a world where they did anything I was really hoping that that we would have a Quentin Tarantino version of yes. of, of Star yeah. Trek yeah didn't you I I'd, I'd love to see what all kinds of different people would bring to Star Trek people get scared when they think outside the box but i'm like oh bring it on <laughs> and 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 you know like if you follow if you follow tarantino's films he has a way of recycling uh 60s and 70s uh, tv stars and and i have no doubt this you know my i have i don't have any inside knowledge but i have no doubt that he had a big place for william shatner that he was going to have a big part for him and and i would have loved to have seen it. i want i want him to be the captain one more time I mean, it's science fiction. I mean, we can get Kirk back in some manner, right? Yeah. You know? It's got to happen. Yeah, the idea that you can't do it, that they couldn't put him into, into the, you know, the real reason why they didn't put him in was I'm sure that his price was too high. And uh, he wanted, he would have asked for rewrites that would have beefed up his part. And, uh, and, and that's the reason why he said he's not interested in doing cameos. Okay. Well, of course, uh, you are the host of White Coat Black Art on CBC Radio here in Canada. Recently just wrapped its uh, most recent season. And you are also the host of a podcast called The Dose through CBC Podcasts as well. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about those shows and uh, what our listeners can expect if they tune in. So, so White Coat Black Art basically is a show that is about all about the experience of patients in modern medicine. In the culture of modern medicine, we uh, pull no punches. <clears throat> we talk about controversial subjects. We were one of the first shows to talk about, um, you know, what what it's like if you're a health professional who has experienced racism. Uh, in 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 medicine or from patients, you know, we talked about racist. We did a show about racist patients. We did it like five years ago. Um, we've done more than our share of shows on Me Too in medicine, but we also, you know, we also do shows like we told the story of a of a man who is over fifty. His name is Jay Demas. He has end stage uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, and and what happens when his care team um, doesn't set up his iPad. You know, his iPad has an eye scanner that so that his keyboard is activated by his eye movements. And and if they don't line it up perfectly, or if they take it away from him because they just haven't been they haven't bothered to learn how to use it, he becomes incommunicado. And he's an articulate guy. And so when he gets communicado again, when they reestablish it, he's got a mouthful. He's got a lot of things to say. And so we, you know, we want to be able to to represent people like that. That's what you get on on on, on white coat black art. Not surprisingly, we did a lot of shows on COVID. The most memorable shows, um, what it's like to be a homeless person in the time of COVID, and you know when you're being thrown into the breach and and you're being put at risk all the time, or what it's like to be a senior in a long-term care facility and you haven't seen your loved ones for three months and you haven't been allowed to other than a wave, you know, and a, 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 like a drive-by. Um, so that's White Coat Black Art. The dose, what was missing from White Coat Black Art was practical information that you can use to make better decisions about your health. And that's, and that's what we provide on the dose. We answer a burning question every week. For instance, should I care what my BMI is? 
and uh, your body mass index because for a long time that became synonymous with your health. You know, it, it tells you whether you're uh, overweight or obese and, and does that mean, uh, you know, that, that you're going to die of a stroke or a heart attack because you have a high BMI. And, and so we unpacked it and we demystified that. Not surprisingly, when COVID came, uh, came, came in force, most of the questions that we got from listeners was, can you do a podcast on, for instance, tell us about contact tracing or tell us about, about the, how close are we to a vaccine and me getting my life back to normal. Probably our most popular show was uh, the vaccine show. And uh, in fact, in fact, we are, it's, we're rerunning it this weekend all summer long in, in, in the White Coat Black Art time slot we're we're playing new and and old episodes of the dose and recent episodes of the dose so that we can get people who only listen on the radio to to get interested in subscribing to the podcast we had we did our show uh recently a show on the dose about the vaccine and the resurgence of anti of the anti-vaccination movement in, in in preparation for in anticipation of the covid vaccine 30% of americans have said they won't roll up their sleeves to get the vaccine when it becomes available which is insane Ugh, that drives me crazy and 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 so we tried to talk about why you know we talked about russian bot you know bot farms you know fake uh, tw- twitter accounts that are spewing out this this crap about uh, about about vaccines and about how you know you want to have a strong herd so you need to have herd immunity so everybody needs to get it and so that the weak will die i mean it's it's just it's just insane and then the other one is i want to i want to find a new partner in the time of covid so we have a show all about that about what you need to do. And, and you know, I, I won't give them any more of it. It's called The Dose. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can subscribe to it or you can subscribe to it at CBC Podcasts. And we want, we want people to, to listen. We want people to rate it highly so that, so that other people will find out about it. Excellent. And uh, just one last thing. The, the other thing, I, I, I want to add this to my reading list. Uh, your most recent book from 2018, The Power of Kindness, and I, I'm just thinking back to you talking about Star Trek doctors. And that's one thing. All the Star Trek doctors are incredibly empathetic, maybe except the EMH at first. But, you know, for the most part, they're they're very caring, very empathetic people. And uh, I, I like this kind of take on the medical industry and, and looking at it from that perspective. Yeah, well, and, and it's very interesting because um, when I... I pitched the book that became The Power of Kindness. It was supposed to be a book about empathy in healthcare, in in the hospital, in the clinics. And the publisher wisely said, that's too narrow. We want you to go out into the world instead and, and talk about the power of kindness, learn from people. You know, instead of going to the clinic, go to go to the, the, the bus station or the bar. I did a chapter called, you know, The Bar at Ground Zero. So this is this is O'Hara's, which is the only bar inside Ground Zero for the World Trade Center attacks, and it, like it's it's it steps from the from the World what was the World Trade Center, and I met the kindest bartenders in the world, and this this was a bar that was closed for six months in the wake of of 9/11, and they reopened. They could have they could have closed for good. It used to be a bar that serviced the financial community. And then it became a meeting place for first responders because right across the street was Engine 11, Ladder 10. um, And a lot of the firefighters from that unit were dispatched to the World Trade Center and lost their lives when the the Twin Towers collapsed. There's a lot of survivor guilt among the the ones that survived. And every, you know, they they have, if you go to this bar, if you ever travel to New York City, go to O'Hara's and you'll see they've got approaching 10,000 crests. Of, of first responders from from New York, from across the United States, Canada, there's lots of Canadian ones and around the world. And you see you see that what they've done is they've put it's a shrine to first responders. It's a meeting place where people who are traumatized by their work can come and, 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 and talk to their brothers and sisters. You know, I wanted to to find out the mission behind that bar, why they changed their mission. And I met the kindest bartenders in the, on the planet, kinds of people who save marriages and know when to cut somebody off and when instead to give them another drink, but drive them home, you know, and, and they're, they're very empathetic. Um, the neat thing is that I rediscovered my own empathy, which, you know, I, I, my, the, 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 the kind of the journey of the book, I begin by, by recounting a story in which I was accused by, by a family of being unkind. It happens. And, and, you know, when they accuse you of incompetence, there's a good chance they don't know what they're talking about. 
you know, there are many gray areas. There's decisions you make that somebody else you know, might have made a different decision, but, but, you know, you can argue it. But when they tell you you were unkind, they got you busted. And that set me on the journey to write the book. And, uh, you know, I had my brain scanned. I had an MRI to see if I, if I had the kindness uh, centers of my brain, if they lit up. Um, I had a personality test, and I ventured around the world. I went to Japan to, to meet the roboticists who are building kind and empathic robots and, and uh, companions, because companion robots are going to be a big thing in the years to come. And I went to Brazil. I met a woman who... Uh, you know, a woman in her early 30s who befriended a man who'd been homeless on the streets of Sao Paulo for 37 years. And she calls this man her soulmate. And I wanted to know what kind of a person actually adopts a homeless person. And, uh, you know, and, and I learned her story. And, and, and I have many, many stories like that in The Power of Kindness. And, you know, I think that, that it's a very appropriate book in the time of COVID. Absolutely. I mean, it's like, you know, I, I'm only going to go see a doctor that I feel like I'm getting some kindness from, you know, it's like, I want to feel like a real person, you know, and not just a statistic or just a number that comes in. And I always look for kindness in anybody I relate to. And of course, we're getting kindness from you. And that's why we have you on the show. Aw, and, and you were kind to invite me and, and, and you seem like very kind guys, too. Yeah, you're good listeners. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, if people wanted to uh, follow you online, uh, where would they best be able to do that? So I have a website, uh, drbriangoldman.com, and the doctor is spelled D-O-C-T-O-R, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, Goldman, all one word, dot com. Uh, my Twitter handle is at NightShiftMD, and you know I, I post a lot of stuff there, my own thoughts, and, and of course stuff that I retweet, and and uh, CBC, you know, my, my affiliation with CBC, you can find us on cbc.ca slash whitecoat, where you can find great articles about our shows, the shows themselves, both White Coat Black Art and The Dose. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really enlightening and, and great discussion. And I love finding Star Trek fans in all, fi in all walks of life. And uh, to discover that you are such a big Star Trek fan was really special to me. So thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you. And you know what? That's because we're everywhere. Star Trek fans are everywhere. Well, you can find the show on Twitter. We're at Positively Trek. You can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And of course, we have our Facebook group. Just search Positively Trek on Facebook, and we'll let you right into that group. And Bruce? And you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline, then Rex. And you can find me doing some episodes recently of the Star Wars Report. And uh, you can also find me wearing a mask when I'm out in public. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you again, Dr. Brian Goldman, for joining us. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you again next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.